I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Unedited. It's not every day a church planner decides to move his family to a small town in Montana. It's even more rare that that small town pastor's church grows to 10 locations, multiple states. He becomes nationally known, speaking at major conferences, having a TV show, and authoring several books. But that's the path of Levi Lusco, a 36-year-old church planner who joins the likes of Stephen Furtick, Judah Smith, John Gray, and others as one of the leaders shepherding the next era of the church. If you don't know Levi's story, it's truly unique, not just because he's leading a thriving local church while balancing the demands of having a national platform, but because he's talked openly about a tragedy that his family went through. A few years ago, his five-year-old daughter, Linya, suddenly passed away from an asthma attack. When we told that story in a feature we did on him in Relevant last year, I, I actually cried. As a dad, I can't imagine the grief of losing a small child and, and keeping it together. Despite the fact that Levi and I actually have a lot of common friends and we've published him in Relevant, I'd never met him until the conversation you're about to hear. I was really impressed with his humility and openness. He's in a season of life where balancing ministry and family and community takes a lot of real intentionality. It's something a lot of us learn the hard way, and I'm always curious about the people who have a spotlight on them, how they keep all the plates spinning and stay healthy. Levi really opens up about that, and I found it incredibly insightful. I hope you will too. Here's my conversation with Levi Lusco, unedited. If you were just a pastor in a 13,000-person city in in Montana, you're kind of isolated and off the grid, but you're kind of like in the brat pack of like Carl and Judah and Rich and Chad, and you are like on the stage of Harvest Crusade, and you're on the stage of all these tours, and you're uh, a a nationally known speaker and author. Uh, How did that happen? Oh man, one day at a time, I guess. Really? Um, was that Did you ever aspire to that? Were you like trying to like? So no, I don't. I've, I've never really tried to do anything other than. I mean, you want to. You want your message to get to as many people as you can. Yeah. So I mean, there's not like a, not a thought about reach, but I think. But you wouldn't be in Whitefish, Montana. If you it's were not thinking. a great street strategic <laughs> place to do what we're doing from. Simply from a flight perspective. I, I was thinking yeah. you got to fly two outbound flights a day. You know, I mean. Then the summer it picks up. We're having a big summer. We got nonstops to San Francisco, Atlanta, Chicago. Summer's crazy. And then wintertime, it dries up, and you can basically get to Denver, Salt Lake, Seattle. Uh, and then you got to connect everywhere. So wow. a, lot, a lot of early mornings and a lot of planes that you're sitting on while they de-ice. Yeah. And the other bad thing is that in the wintertime, the planes go to the small single cabin flights, so you can't even get an upgrade. You're just sitting there, and it's like tiny seat. Some of the flights, they don't recline. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know the Apostle Paul would be like, really, you're going to complain about this? <laughs> but it's a struggle, man. Yeah. So, especially when so much of your life is on the road. Sure. I mean, like, but, but so, like, how, how do you juggle that? How do you juggle the national ministry versus the yeah. local? Well, it's funny what you just said. Uh, I love Bob Goff. I've never met him. Uh, he's someone else uh, that we've interacted on. The, we've texted and stuff, but we've never met. What you just said he told you to do has been pretty much the exact opposite of what we've been trying to do lately, saying yes to everything. Only because we've we've had years like that where we said yes to every request, yes to every tour, yes to everything. And it became it becomes really challenging to build what you're trying to build at home and juggle what you're doing on the road because 
um, for us, my dad taught me when I was a little kid, if someone asked you to speak at a Bible study of three people, go do it. You know, he was an assistant pastor at a church and uh, has always been involved in Christian radio, which is why I'm in Orlando speaking to the broadcasters tomorrow. Oh, really? Uh, yep. So, um, so I, I, when I was a youth pastor, it was like if I got asked to, the funniest speaking engagement I've ever had was I got asked, would you speak to a Chinese Christian church on parenting? I was not a parent. And I, I've been a youth pastor for like a year. So what did I know about parenting? You know, I barely survived childhood, but I said yes. And I l- looked up biblical principles on parenting and tried my best. I, I had to take my shoes off because they all took their shoes off at the door, this Chinese Christian church. And wow. so barefoot, I stood there and talked about parenting. So it, that was kind of my mentality and just walked through our, whatever opportunity. I'm not good at networking. Someone asked me today, it's like, hey, if I want to do what you're doing, how do I network? I'm like, I'm an anti-networker. Yeah, I'm the same way. That's yeah. why we've never met. So green rooms, uh, like I'm not that guy like, hey, you've booked me to speak at your event. You know same what I mean? Way. I'm not on LinkedIn or whatever you do to do that. Yeah. So I don't have that hustle bone in my body. But what I've always tried to do is just any opportunity God opens for me that I'm and now that I feel, I would add that I feel called to be at, um, I'm going to go with all my heart and try and bless the people that I'm there for. How do you juggle the the family and the church and and maintaining i you probably don't care about maintaining your national platform but your publisher does you sure. know like like how do you juggle all that man I imperfectly mean, would be the best answer yeah. um my wife and i uh and i wish you could meet jenny she is um amazing at helping me understand the pulse of our home so we have on our wall the whole calendar and any opportunity we, we get, we pray at and look at the whole year. And I, what I found was, you, and Pastor Stephen Furtick taught me this, don't ever just look at your Google calendar when you're making a decision because you only look at that month, but you don't see the context. Hmm. So when you look at on the wall, the entire, all t- the next 12. So right now it'll, it'll say September through, uh, whatever that be, August next year. And, and you, you, you make the decisions a year out looking at that. Hmm. And then you just give the best yes, you know? So family days, uh, vacations, our camping trip we do as alien as a family, those date nights, getaways, those are set in stone. And those yeses go before then fresh life's yeses. And then after that, it's uh, other opportunities. I, uh, I learned the hard way of like spreading myself too thin and not having the boundaries on work and home. Yep. And like, I, I don't, I don't speak or travel as much as you do, but like, you know, for me juggling relevant and then juggling being a good dad yep. and, you know, like, after six, I, I don't check work emails. I'm, I'm totally. a thousand percent. Because well, otherwise, you, the version of you that gets to the event is not a, is not what, what you know you would want to send. Mm-hmm. So when you can say, you know, when you end up doing too many things, then you get there and you're like frustrated. You're there. And meanwhile, you know, you're getting emails from home telling you that the fires are burning and the the, the, the villagers are surrounding the you know the castle trying to get you out. And so I think it just creates more stress than you need. So you're you you said you're saying no a lot more now yeah just uh we're at a season right now where i'm really trying to focus on building our house our 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 church house and really trying to be present and you 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 can facetime in to some stuff you can call into some stuff but there's not a substitute for bumping into people in the halls and for having those conversations that happen organically uh walking from your car to the building i mean that, that and so we're we're just really in a season where we're really trying to give concentrated effort to fresh life i've i've noticed like you know, I'm not a pastor and, but like watching from afar, our friends like, you know, Carl Lentz, you know, they, he and Joel built Hillsong, New York. And I just remember those earliest days. It was like, he's there every service. He's preaching seven times a weekend sometimes as it was growing. And it was 
very focused on Hillsong New York. And then because of the success of that, he got pulled out yep. into the national. And, 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 and it's almost like my perception was like, he was like less connected with the, the local, the local house they were building. And then, and it's almost like then the course correction. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what's happening to you too. And, and like, I, and then like Chad Beach, Launch and Zoe in California, it was like, he was, kind of national, national, national. And then when they plan it, I mean, he was just like, there. yeah, buckle down. 100%. Well, we're 12 years in, you know, so yeah. th- this, we're, 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 our pendulum has swung every way it can swing. And, you know, so I, I feel like we're, we're in a season right now where we're making decisions um, more carefully than we have in previous seasons. Yeah. How's, how's the church going? I know you guys are multi-site. Yeah. Is it, is it video like, like life church model? Would you, yeah, I would say more than any others, uh, how, what you experience on a weekend is probably pattern after life church, um, in that, it, in the way we use video. Um, although we, we do a three screen setup like North point to where we use the center screen is life size. Uh, that's oh, really? a big difference. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, like, I don't know, again, I don't know church ministry at all, but like, do you guys look at what each other's doing and like go, Oh, I like that. Let me, let's do that. You, for sure. Do you yeah. really? Well, I think I think there can be kind of like an elitist arrogance that would cause you to not want to do that. Sure. Like, oh, I don't want to be that. Like, oh, I'm not the guy. I, we just say like, hey, look, if we're going to steal, let's steal from the best. You yeah. know? So, I mean, we totally do that. If we go, if I go speak at a church and there's something, I, I think the need to be original can could actually rob you from doing something that's great. How so? So if someone is doing something that's genuinely innovative and groundbreaking, right. but you have this like need to be like, no, no, no we, we only do things that are our own idea. For example, um, one of our worship leaders said, you know, we, we should sing more of our songs and less of Hillsong songs. And we do sing some originals and we do sing a lot of Hillsong songs and Elevation songs and Jesus culture. And I said, look, I'd be the happiest person in the world to if do one of our songs song four. <laughs> Let's write Cornerstone or Oceans yeah. or So Will I, right. and then we'll put it in song four. In the meantime, we'll do our song two. And then right before the, you know, we, we get going, let's, we're going to sing the, we're going to put the best song in and it doesn't matter whose it is, you know, there shouldn't be nepotism for ideas. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I, uh, I, it's just interesting to see. Oh, so you're 12 years in, you're going multi-site. And it's still, I mean, it's Wyoming, it's Montana, it's, but it's still mainly like a lot of small towns. Is there, do you feel called to like the rural and smaller? I mean, cause like, you know, the guy like, like Carl, he was in Virginia beach. Yeah. He felt called to New York, you know, yep. like, it's like, it's almost like that's the main stage. That's where we can influence culture, that kind of thing. And you're kind of spreading out into the areas where like, you know, nobody else is. So like. yeah, I mean, we feel we've, we, when we got to five years, uh, we, we that was our commitment to God. We said, we'll give you five years in Montana. Like, if it's not working, we're not just going to continue to beat. You know, even Paul had the sense to say, hey, maybe we should go to Europe, you know? So at the five-year mark, we had seen 3,000 commitments to Christ. And that was that kind of symbolic number because of what had happened on the day of Pentecost. And so my wife and I, like, like literally, like, at the five-year birthday, we had our 3,000th commitment to Christ. Wow. And we were like, ah, that's crazy. So obviously God's in it. And we're not going to, you know— go go somewhere else and uh at that point our goal became let's get a a church in every significant population center inside the state of montana which we have now um helena bozeman billings uh great falls missoula and whitefish and kalispell and you're sticking with the pretty parts of the state well well, butte we're in butte we're in great falls i mean there's there's parts of the state that are not as um, highly sought after by the tourists, <laughs> we shall say. I mean, what do you know of Butte, Montana? I mean, nothing. I mean, li- I mean, I've literally been to Billings and down to the big uh, 
you know, uh, Crow Reservation yep. to an hour south. That's literally right, right, my right. experience in Montana, other than uh, family vacation one time. I think we were going to Yellowstone. We kind of clipped the corner or something yeah, it's, on that side of the it's state. A great it's totally state. different. Yeah. yeah. And then, huge. but now we're also in Salt Lake City. Yeah. And then we took over a church in Portland, Oregon. Oh, and cool. then uh, we're also in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Do you, do you visit those? Do you preach there ever live? So I, I'm not, I never preach anywhere live except for our broadcast campus. Uh, if I go to a church, um, I'll just attend and sit in and hang out and meet people and, and just let the, vi- we just, yeah, I feel, what Pastor Craig taught us was that you kind of devalue the video and you devalue the campus pastor if you get there and you're like, now I'm here, let's, let's show you what it's really all about, you know? No way. That's interesting. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And our campus pastors do preach as well. What do you, what do you say to the, the critics of the video model, the saying it shouldn't be about one, why don't you raise up other sure. speakers and campus pastors? Well, we do both. Yeah. I mean, so this last weekend, uh, Labor Day weekend, every every church had live preaching on the platform. And so we are raising up. On, on one Sunday, we got to have 12 people get a crack at a, a sermon, but not having to handle, you know, the whole church where they could just preach to their local congregation. So um I don't say a lot to the critics, though. I mean, that's not my, I'm not called to convince people who don't agree with me. Um, but I, I'd also would say it's, it's working and we're seeing people come to Christ. And so. You don't, you don't uh, have a response to the critics. How do you handle criticism? Like, I try, I try would A, not get hurt by it. <laughs> that's the, how do you not get hurt by it? Like, this is why I can never be a pastor. Like, if, not, well, because I'm not skilled. But other than that, if I was up there preaching and a family left the church, I would think it's because I wasn't oh, it's good hard. enough. That's so hard. Like, how do you handle it? I, I handle it terribly every time. I don't like any, I'm genuinely, I told my wife this, I'm genuinely surprised every time someone leaves, every time someone walks away. Uh, because we're, 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 we're so, you know, pour, you're pouring your life out into something to have anyone quit and walk away. It's always like, how, it, it, it catches me off guard every time and it hurts every time. And the criticism every time challenges you. I, uh, I, with us, you know, we put a ton of media out every day. And the first thing I tell a new writer or editor joins our team is like, never read the Facebook comments. Like, oh, yeah, YouTube. Like, literally, yeah, right. no, literally, never, never look at it. And of course, it's the first thing they do. You know, they write their first piece and they're so excited and we publish it and they just want to see what all people are saying about it. And it destroys them. I'm like, you have to not listen to the comments. How do you, like, I would think with you, you know, having a local ministry, but like a national platform and, you know, a lot of people having a lot of opinions about everything you do or say and, and a backlash against celebrity pastors and all that, you probably get a lot of, you know, online hate and stuff. How do you handle all that? Yeah, I think uh, you, you look for the right likes. You know, if if, if I've like this morning, I, I had a 5 a.m. Uh, pick, I had to be at the airport at 5 a.m. So uh, I had 4 a.m. time with Jesus by myself. I'm going through a Tim Keller devotional um, and had a great time with the Lord. And so I got likes from him. And then I kissed my wife out on my way out the door, got likes from her. My daughter flew with me. We watched Mr. Rogers together on the plane. We got the right likes from her. We had Qdoba for breakfast. So if some guy on Instagram, 15 comments down, you know, thinks I'm whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm already validated in the right way I, that I would hope that that isn't going to hit me so hard. And I think what you told your writers is the right instinct. Don't read the Facebook comments. Yeah. Like, I just remember like last month, uh, you know, John Gray got just annihilated because he went to the white house. Right. 
I mean, to the point that he shut down the comments on his Instagram. Yeah. All of his friends. Pulling posts. Are, and, like, yeah. are, are like rallying to support him. And yeah. like, I, it just seems like the mob mentality is like, we're in an age where people want to tear down yeah. the people who are out in front, you know? I, 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 I Great empathy for the the challenge of that because like these are people and you want to reach them for Christ, your pastor, your minister, that's yeah. your calling at the same time. It's like, how do you not let that criticism like affect? You? I don't know. I mean, part of it too, though, is like the other day, someone came up to my family in a public place and you know, there's, there's good interactions like that. Negative interactions, good ones are, Hey, your book encouraged me or, you know, your, your, your message on YouTube helped me out through a tough season. Can I get a photo? Great. Boom. And then, you know, you're off on your way. And those, those are the ones where you're like, Hey, take a moment, tell me your story. You know, it's like, then the ones that are like monopolizing or they like sit down at your table, like, you know, you're like, we're having breakfast. I'm on a date night. I'd love to talk to you about, you know, you, whatever your issue is. But this person came up and someone was with us and said, you know, is that ever get old? And I'm like, you realize that like, this is a prayer you prayed in a previous season being answered. God use me, you know, you pray. Wow. And then to complain against the, the good, you have to sort of take the good with the bad, you know, and, and getting, now I'm going to, am I going to complain about my lunch getting interrupted when there was a day? It's like, God could easily say, Hey, you want your lunch never get interrupted again. You know what I mean? Like I'll just unanswer the prayer you prayed here. Am I send me? And this is part of the process. Wow. You've written three books or the third one's about to release. I'm this, so excited. Fall. Yeah. Um, the first one was deeply personal, shared a lot about your story. Um, talk to me about this one. Oh, I declare war. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the first book was the book I never would have wanted to write. Yeah. Of course. Uh, the second book was the book that if I didn't write, I felt like God was going to like hold me accountable for not speaking out against just what we're seeing in sexuality today. But the third book was the book that I needed to write for me. Yeah. It seems like it's a lot more personal. Yeah. So I declare war, uh, four keys to winning the battle with yourself. I, I came to a conclusion that of all the issues I was having, yes, I, my, my staff has issues. Yes. There's a devil in hell who hates me. Yes. My, you know, it's hard having a lot of kids and being a pastor, but really I create more problems for myself than any other person. And so I, I kind of went on a journey of really deciding that I wanted to quit holding myself back. Hmm. Uh, I was sick of driving home from work, replaying conversations in my head and wishing I had said them differently. Uh, I, I was tired of falling asleep at night um, bemoaning the fact that I had let another day uh, go by where I had been hijacked and I had said things I don't want to say and been the kind of boss I don't want to be and, and been the kind of husband and dad. I, even on a travel day, we have this joke where um, traveling, whether I'm relaxed daddy or uptight daddy, you know, it's like really? little things, you know what I mean? Just getting on the plane. Uh, yes, my kids do pick the worst time to go to the bathroom, right? When they're calling our boarding zones, like they're all in the bathrooms. Like we need to board. There's, these things are not going to get in the overhead bin, you know? But just even little things like that and just figuring out like, I don't want to live my life held hostage by the version of me that I don't want to be. So that's what the book's about. How do you, I mean, like specifically, what are some, without giving the book away, everybody go buy it. But like, how, how, how do I be Relax Daddy Flying? Yeah. So Relax Daddy Flying, uh, the best thing is nothing goes in the overhead bin. We check everything. And if it doesn't go under the seat, we don't bring it because then you can walk through the airport with your arm swinging, number one. Hmm. And number two, you can board whenever the crap you want. 
So if you, if you don't care about the only reward for carry on luggage is walking around with a box in your arms, when in life is that a prize? Mm. So, uh, and then, you know, you can be the last to get on the airplane and not care. And so when, when I had that epiphany, everything changed. Do, uh, like I, I, five years ago, I went through a divorce. And so the five years since then have been a lot of like healing and growth and, you know, trying to figure out like discovering the patterns in my life that kind of led to that. And, how I got to be kind of my worst self, right? And then you kind of go through it and go through counseling and all these years and you're kind of going, okay, I figured it out. Like I know I know the, sec- in, the secret sauce. And then like life gets hard again yeah. and you find like the old stuff reemerging. Like do you, f- is this like an ongoing thing for you? I mean, is it like the stresses? Like like what what's the thing that like, you know, do you feel like you've cracked the code and like, okay, now I'm like, that's a BCAD like I don't have to struggle with that anymore. Or is this like an always thing? Like so, yeah. I think I think a lot of life, your reward for winning a level is encountering a new level that has a new big boss at the end yeah, of it. Yeah. But at the same time, you get to bring the bag of tricks with you from level two to level three. Mm-hmm. So what I hope to give readers uh, in the book is the bag of tricks that I've accumulated over the years. Not pretending that I'm done. It, it's it's an ongoing thing, and I've got new fights that I'm discovering now in front of me. But what I have found is whether um, the, the few very simple emotional uh, behavior kind of man self biggest thing is just self management mm-hmm. and realizing like oh I, I have my my number one job isn't leading my staff it's leading me mm-hmm. so if no one's leading Levi because he's out focusing on everybody else he's just creating problems so. Like even a, the simplest thing that I talk about in the book is naming the version of yourself you don't want to be. So mm-hmm. I gave that, that you can rearrange Levi to spell evil. So I call him evil Levi. Mm-hmm. And so what, you know, evil Levi is not welcome on the guest list. So, so whatever I have to do to get him to not be there, you know, I didn't want to get it before in the morning, but if I don't, if I don't spend that specific time getting my game face on, I'm not going to perform my best. So, you know, you're not going to see Michael Phelps get in the pool without having him taking some time to put the headphones on, channel himself, flap his arms around. So what are the equivalent things that walking into a sales meeting, you know, you need to do to be, you know, a kind boss? Mm-hmm. I, I wrote every, every single page of this new book I wrote with a pair of non-prescription glasses on. And when I put them on, I become a fearless author. And that's did you really, you every single word. When I put them on, I'm a fearless author who doesn't succumb to writer's block. And 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 when when I'm wearing, and I also triggered that version of me by playing Kanye's 808s and Heartbreak every single writing session. <laughs> that was the Pavlovian bell that sounded me not being afraid. The clean the, version, though. The, well, it was an LP, so yeah, it was a, <laughs> it, it, they only made that. In they the don't make version. the edited LP. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I just found, found a secret sin of yours. You listen <laughs> to explicit hip hop. That's actually like one of his cleanest albums, though. Yeah, it actually is. Yeah. Um, it's not like Jesus out there with my four-year-old running around. Yeah, I literally like one of my quirks growing up. Like I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music at all. You know, church kid through and through. Very conservative parents, and so my my secret life was that I always stuck secular music. Sure. Right? So like in the mid '80s, my mom like raised me on like she loved Motown and then turned into Black Gospel and you know and then Lionel Richie right. And and then she found worship music like Maranatha and all the secular was out of the house. Crystal Lewis, but I love yeah. like you know, urban music. And so hip hop's coming out. My first tape I ever bought was the fat boys. And my first CD was Dale soul. And, and then like the early nineties, come on hip hop. man. But I don't know what it was. It was my Christian youth group guilt or something. I would buy all my albums at Walmart because they only sold the edited versions, Hilarious. the radio ones. <clears throat> and so I, I have this incredible extensive love of hip hop, historical love of hip hop 
and I only listen to edited hip hop. And, and it's not a judgment of anybody else. It's just like, I, so then I go to a lot of clues or I go to shows or whatever. Every year I go to shows and I'll see like Kendrick and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's what he's saying. Like I literally didn't, even, didn't know, even know. Cause it's just like, oh, yeah. you know, whatever they do. Well, yeah. we taught, so my 12 my year old figured this out. <laughs> you can tell Alexa just to not play a single song that's, that's not explicit, that's explicit. So no matter what you ask her to play, she'll just automatically play the the, uh, the clean version. Yeah, so. yeah we have that. a saved Alexa. Do you really? It's she, just a little filter although, Alexa. Yeah, have you ever asked her about Jesus? No. Oh my God, we had the funniest time at, like trying to convert Alexa, and like like you can get her to a place where she'll be uncomfortable. She's like, I'm not comfortable talking about that. Are you serious? We've had we've had her shut shut it down twice. We we're like, oh, that's pretty good. That's really funny. Right, how old are your kids? Uh, so 12's the oldest, and then one's the youngest. How are you navigating the digital world of the fact that the kid can go in the bedroom and tell Alexa to play the non-clean version? Yeah. I mean, how do you... So we don't have devices in rooms. Uh, no devices. Uh, I mean, uh, my wife and I have a TV in our room, but I, I, on most nights I charge my phone in my office, so I don't have even my phone in my room. Um, you have what, what kind of alarm clock do you have? You know, actual, an actual uh, we bought clock? analog alarm clocks. And it was one of the best decisions we ever made. What? Yeah, because it's so bad for you to have a thing beeping you in the night. So like this morning, I wanted my phone in there because I had a flight. But most days, my wife and I, we literally were like, we don't want to have uh, text going off at 3 a.m. Uh, you know, you end up in these chats and, you know, so your cousin and uh, whatever coast they're on or and they're in France and all of a sudden in the group text is going off and you're just like, I don't care. So we went on Amazon. We found analog alarm clocks. And that, I love that's it. the self-care stuff that I want to know. Like, that's yeah. good stuff. Like that, the boundary stuff, the stuff that like, OK, so no phones. And the, the it's bedrooms. a real practical thing. Uh, and I was just talking to Simon Sinek about this. Uh, he was saying, name that, drop. well, I had to give credit because otherwise it sounds like <laughs> my idea. He was saying that. um not even charging kids' phones in the rooms is huge because he's done all that research on how uh, the phones are the same as gambling and the same as alcohol. And you have to be 18 to gamble, 21 to drink alcohol, but in our country, we give Susie a cell phone at 13 and we're like, have a good life. When you're literally handling, handling, handing her uh, one of the most addictive substances in the world. Yeah. And kids' brains, they um, have a neuroplasticity where they haven't fully formed yet, so they're more susceptible to addictions. Most alcoholics in the country started drinking before they were 18. Mm. And so their brains were getting this addictive substance when they were still plastic in their minds. And so with cell phones, you know, just monitoring screen time, of course, having the apps and all that, the conversation. But then, and I've, and I've Frankenstein my approach. Like, we've taken some things from Simon. He said that you should have contracts with kids. Um, adults sign contracts when they get phones, but not kids. I saw a friend of mine who they finally relented. They had a bunch of kids and they finally relented and got whatever, I don't know how old the kid was, a phone. And he put on Instagram, he put the contract he wrote up for the kid, you know, and like, okay, we're going to trust you with this. You're going to agree to this. I was like, that's and brilliant. Penalty, and penalties yeah. and all of that. So it's clear. And it's not just confusing and at, at, the, at the whim of your day. Right. Oh, you're I'm taking that away. You know, for how long? What's the infraction? How many minutes do they get? So I think figuring out, but then holding yourself accountable too. We put the moment app on that tells you how many hours of screen time you get per day. And it is horrifying. Four hours a day, three hours a day, five hours a day. And you're just like, how, how, how 20% of my waking time go on the screen? I, I got that circle app or the oh, circle the, device. The Disney one. Yeah. Yep. It was a Kickstarter. And then it was so good. Like Disney bought it, you know, but uh, it's brilliant. And you can, 
it goes, it plugs into your Wi-Fi. So any device that connects to your Wi-Fi, it can, you can basically control and you can assign devices to different members of your family and assign time limits, or you can reward with more screen time and all that kind of stuff. And so then I put myself in the app because just, just universally across the house, we, you know, put like a filter on the internet, that kind of thing. But I decided to like put a time limit on my own, you know, whatever. So the first day I set it up, put myself at like 1 a.m., computer shuts off sort of thing, or the internet shuts off. And because I stay up late every night, yep. you know, and that's like my almost like restorative, like my personality is like, I want to like learn about, or I want to like, I have this creative idea and, I'm with it. and this is, it's my non-work brain and it's late at night. Right. And so the first night I like, I'm on my laptop and I'm going and it's one o'clock and boom, the internet shuts off. I'm like, no, forget that. I went and I undid it because I'm like, I, you know, like Can't I tried to put the limit on myself, yeah. but I couldn't do it. You totally. Know? But like, I need, it's almost like I find like that alone time post 11 PM is like, where it like it rejuvenates me creatively yeah. almost. You know? If I don't go to bed at nine p.m. nine? I, no, no. I, I I take melatonin like at eight thirty. What? Yeah, man. I I'm up at well, five. You're up at four. Yeah. yeah. So I, I try to be up at five thirty. That's my normal wake up time. And so like I wrote my book between. So I'd say it's an eight hour night. Yeah. No. I, but see that I try to be bed at nine. If I but if I'm up past ten, then it, I blink in it's midnight. Well, how do you mean? write a book? When do you write a book and all pastor between, and speak? So all I did all uh, my books on on my own time. So uh, I would get up at five thirty, have a little bit of oatmeal, whatever, write for two hours or one hour. I wrote uh, I declare war in one thousand word increments, and so um, I had turned in fifty thousand. So it was fifty one thousand word increments. And how many uh, days a week did you do that? I never let a book writing go longer than three months because I feel like you lose pr- uh, perspective on the project. Sure. Momentum. And yeah, stuff. and just to feel the scope of it. And you start like forgetting about chapter one. Hmm. So, um, but I turned that one in at 70,000. I just got really kind of swept away with it. And then it's it's 70,000 or did they cut it down it's to 50? It's down to 57. I think, you know, you take away. The good 57. Stephen King said, if they don't take away 10% editing, something's gone wrong. Did you... Like, what's your writing process? This is interesting to me. I can't relate to the pastoring stuff, but I can relate to writing. Sure. I hate writing. Yeah. I, I hate it. I, I, for me, that's just not, I can. It's just not what I enjoy. And yeah. I have to write a column in every issue of our magazine. We've been doing it since 2003. It's the bane of my existence. I'm going to write that dumb page. But if I can discipline myself and sit down and do it, I, you know, I really want the Lord to use those words yeah. and, you know, whatever. But at, like, what's your, um, uh, process for writing in your mindset. You, you said you put on the fake glasses and not fake glasses, non-prescription glasses, and you adopt kind of almost a mindset and a persona and you discipline yourself in the morning. That's your approach. Yeah. You're rigid with yourself that like I'm going to chip away at it methodically. Yeah. I not, try, you don't wait for inspiration to strike. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Screw inspiration. Um, well, what's that quote? Like if inspiration does show up, it's going to find me writing. Hemingway know? said, write drunk, edit sober. That's the only writing. Yeah, but he quote. took his life and the had only like four mistresses, know. you know, so let's not base our <laughs> life off of Hemingway. Um, but, but yes, um, uh, I think the, the key thing is write like the devil is chasing you because he is. And, yeah. and so I, I never edit in the frame of mind that you're creating in. So you, yeah, never. Write drunk, at, edit sober. Okay. Hemingway. There you go. So never analyzing while you're writing. I, 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 rent, I, I rented a friend's cabin who uh, was kind enough to let me borrow it for Through the Eyes of Lion, and I didn't like that. Was he really famous? Going was somewhere. there a really famous person? Nope. Oh, interesting. Never, you've never heard of him. But he's a scientist. <laughs> yeah. So he you also, had a writing cabin, so you got away. I did that, and I, I just, it just didn't work to, to like try that. Like I, I think it works better for me just to write within the flow of my life, but to do so you know, before my day begins. What's the favorite thing you do in your life? 
you speak, you pastor, you're, you parent. I don't say that because your family's first, but like, okay, so professionally, what's your favorite thing to do? Gosh. Well, professionally or personally, like, like what's okay. the thing that brings you the most life? Because well, I hate when, writing. When I see I Casey love... Neistat has a new YouTube uh, vlog go, show up and that makes me happy. Although really? He's been in like a weird, like d- explaining everything about his life thing lately. I really love that. I love, I love watching people on YouTube doing like cr- innovating really? and creating. Yeah. Will Smith is the best right now. I think right now he's probably. I can honestly say I've not seen anybody, anybody's vlog. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, the, I, I, we create and we're two. doing media so much every day. The last thing I want to do when I go home is consume more media. Yeah. And so I, I, I love, okay. So I love buying things on Amazon oh, yeah, and I love too. watching review videos on YouTube before I make decision about product. Like I, you, I won't buy anything without watching like five horrible review videos on YouTube. Are you serious? See, my yeah. son does that about toys and games. Yeah. But I'm like, so I'll, I buy, I'll read the reviews and go, yeah, I want that. If I buy my kids like a bounce house, I will have like researched a hundred of them and watched videos on like six of them. And so I, I research a hundred of them and, but I filter by five stars and up. Oh, yeah. And so I, the cream of the crops right there. Don't even look at the reviews. It's not prime. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. It, if prime filter, five stars and up one, two. Okay. That one. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. how I buy See, it. My next step is impulsive. five videos on YouTube, you know. <laughs> I want to see unboxings. I want. You know, Are you serious? Yeah, it's dark. I go to a dark place. So if I'm up at two in the morning, I'm on YouTube. My wife's like, "Stop watching YouTube videos about a stroller." You know? Are you? I I I heard you're into shoes. I, I'm into shoes. Just sneakers and stuff. Me too. Sure. I love the sneakers. What's your What's your vice? You know what? I'm 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 a recovering. Uh, purchaser of shoes I, I haven't bought shoes in a, in a couple years uh, couple i think years. the off-white stuff's pretty impressive oh yeah it's yeah. incredible i love so common, you went i love common like, projects yeah the, oh yeah okay so you want more like rare and limited and exclusive stuff see i'm i'm a nike.com clearance section like okay it looks dope but i i mean it's i got a good so deal we, on it. now that we have a church in portland we have a number of people who work at the nike headquarters yeah. and so you, they get us into the employee store i just got these last week there okay yeah so you know that, that the employee store is a problem yeah i've been there twice the first time i bought 16 pairs of shoes and last time i disciplined myself and did not but i 16 know. I have 331 pairs of Nike. Okay, so don't even call me a sneakerhead. I'm not a sneakerhead. I don't have, I don't have. But, I, but, but I can't, like, the problem is I impulse buy them at two in the morning because they were Instagram, shop now. Oh, those are dope. And click. And I forgot to click. And, and there's a box two, two days, days later. later. That's a problem. Yeah. And, you know, I'm single. So, like, I, nobody tells me I don't me no. have the closet space for that. My wife is like, you, so our big thing right now is if something comes in, something goes out. Oh, that's smart. So, like, if I buy stuff, I just know so I got to get rid of something. So, you're full of these life tips, man. Yep. No, no phone in the room. Buy something, something goes. That's cool. That's good. Um, you had mentioned, you know, the leading and self-care and all that. And, you know, I... I hear stories about leaders of big ministries and, you know, know some of them that are very like type A and demanding and, you know, big personalities and looming and and all that kind of stuff. And it's almost like who they are behind the scenes is different than who they are on stage. And, and, um, inevitably not always, but many times those leaders end up, those ministries fall or, you know, something happens. And recently that, you know, there's some prominent ones in the news that, that have, that's happened. And, and I always wondered like, how that dynamic happens, like how they've built this massive ministry and kingdom almost. And there's like nobody help like watching out for them and their own well-being and health and emotional health and spiritual health and all that kind of stuff. What do you 
what are you doing to surround yourself or kind of hold yourself accountable so you and your friends and this generation doesn't repeat the same pattern of mistakes that the one before us is showing us that like, you know, you give your life to build, 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 and you've kind of created this ivory tire for yourself and then bad stuff can happen, you know? Like what 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 are your thoughts? Yeah. So I think a couple of things. I think um first of all, being a gifted pastor doesn't make you a good leader. And I think when I recognize that, like I came to a place of going like I have a natural gifting on my life as a, as a communicator. I can get onto a stage and just begin, you know, teaching the Bible and people are going to listen. Um, and it's, and they're going to say things afterwards like that made sense. I didn't see that before. Thank you. So that that's effortless for me. Now I, I work hard at it because I want to get better at it, but that's, it comes easy leading people. What I realized was it doesn't come as easily, meaning the person you described type a, you know, this way or that way, get off the bus. If you're not, you know, that's easy for me being a bad leader, being a Steve jobs type, uh, mercurial, you know, volatile. If it's not excellent, if you can't keep up with my pace, if you don't have a big plate, that's easy, but that's also, um, not healthy. That's not Christ-like and that's not, uh, scalable. It's not, no one wants to be around that, you know? So, um, when I, when I kind of had that, ugly sickening realization moment of like oh these are my blind spots and it all it really crystallized when i read a book called what got you here won't get you there about how tons and tons of 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 of, of ceos um assume that their their faux pas with people are 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 part of the reason they're successful Hmm. when in in fact it may be those things that are actually keeping you back from where you actually should be and could be Hmm. so um, so writing the book opened your eyes to blind spots in your own life. No, reading the book oh, what read, got you here won't book. get you okay, there. Okay, okay. Um, that that book really helped me to start seeing, and and I think I was starting to like piece together, like you know, I'm not the most likable person, you know. But I don't I don't necessarily know that I, that that my staff would would say they would enjoy. It. I think they would say maybe fear, appreciate, respect, but not necessarily like you know, wow, what a great, you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. I think I I, I aspire to be the leader that God wants me to be. So th- those are some of the things that I think you can't fix a problem. You don't know you have. So even just knowing it's there. And know- so I, my wife and I talk about shock observers. So if I'm going to a meeting, that's going to be challenging for me to not like, you know, be a jerk. What, what, what would that context be? Don't give me specifics, but like what type of meeting would you say would be like that for you? Like- <sighs> it could be just a Monday in the office, honestly, because you know, if the weekend is so like, volatile attendance could be up and down you know giving could be up and down so you guys like debrief on the on the monday yeah, there will be or, or it could be a, or a forward-looking meeting you know whatever yeah. but if I, I the biggest thing is if it's if i if i if i sense walking in um that there hasn't been a level of of work or buy-in yeah. if, if people are just kind of coming like kind of slack-jawed and you know what do i do next like right. that you know th- that could so easily set me off so i think just knowing um to walk in chalk observers on, to walk in gracious, to not walk in all business, but you know, to, to take a little extra time of investment. How are you doing? And re- one of the biggest things for me is setting, uh, setting expectation and setting the, the atmosphere for the meeting. Hey, this is going to be 
you know, whatever what we believe about it. This is we're, we're glad you're all here. Every one of you brings some unique value to it. Take a moment and celebrate a win. Hey, you appreciate that hard work. You, it's so easy for me to be on to the next thing. Yeah. To forget to celebrate that. Hey, you did a really great job. Dude, that's my biggest struggle. And uh, I think the guys behind the cameras would tell you that I have a lot of them. But I mean, one of my biggest struggles and just how I'm wired is I'm thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. Yeah. Where are we going? What, what are we doing next? I'm not interested in where we were. Uh, we're putting out a magazine every year. Your next one's your best one. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking literally about, you know, what can we do next time? And, and so we'll have these moments where like, I, I don't celebrate well, like, because to me, it's like, we didn't arrive. Like we have a scratch the surface of what God's yeah. going to do. Like, why, wait, why are we like patting ourselves on the back? No, let's go. Like, let's push our, you know, that, and it's you just see, like, you see, that you see people out, you know? oh, that, that'll, that's metal on metal. Oh man. Screeching brake pads. Yeah. And then to so the so other help self-care stuff is, you know, my wife and I are, are seeing counseling, a, a counselor and, uh, that that's really helpful to have someone to unload to and get new tips and help. And, you know, what, what, what about like the dynamic of even like in the American church that they, like, I just think about, I think specifically about these stories. Like after somebody, something hits the news or some scandal, sure. or it's kind of like, how could they let that happen? How, like, how could they, how could that organization even, how could nobody notice? And it's like, these kingdoms are built where every, the, the, the leaders are surrounding themselves with yes, men and women, and they've isolated themselves. They're lonely. Sure. They don't have accountability. They don't open themselves up vulnerably to anyone, especially in the Christian world. I'm thinking, okay, I was specifically yesterday on the phone with uh, a friend. She's my realtor. I, um, but a friend for years, she was the wife of my former pastor, who was a friend of mine. He was um, 35, led a mega church here in Orlando, 5,000 members. And it came out in the news that um, he, I mean, I knew him. We traveled to the Middle East. We spent a week together. And three weeks after we got back, um, it came out in the news that he had had, he was having a three-year affair with the secretary. And when the church elders confronted him, he walked out and went with the girl and like, that's it. He had three kids, a wife, huge ministry, and he just bolted. Right. And it was scandal. This big church immediately 35% just gone attendance. And then the ones that stayed, like they were scrambling to try yeah, to, for sure. you know, how do we rebuild this thing? And then the church leadership was scared to like build it around a person again who could do the same thing. And so they did this like group thing. Take the wrong choice. Thing. Yeah, it was right, right. terrible. It's terrible. Classic. And then nine months later, he took his life. Oh. And, and like I was talking to his wife, his former wife yesterday. And she was, um, I mean, this was four or five years ago. And um, she was going to be interviewed for the first time uh, on a podcast about that. And, you know, suicide epidemic that's happening. And, and not only in America, in this generation, it's the second leading cause of death in this generation. It's huge. And, and then in the Christian world, and obviously some stories have come out lately of Christian leaders that have taken their life and it's affecting so many people. And she was just wanting some advice. She'd never been interviewed before. She was wanting some advice on what to say. And I was like, just be honest, be bold. I mean, we've got to call this out. Like there's something inherently broken with this American version of Christ- Christianity or the Christian industry or something where these leaders get put up on a stage on a, on a pedestal and there's no accountability. There's no transparency. They can live double lives. Nobody would know. And they're lonely and they're broken. And if they told somebody that mm-hmm. I'm struggling with pornography or I, 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 I'm, I'm addicted to, to alcohol or whatever, they would lose everything. Yeah. 
they would be taken down because the American church was nothing more than ripping and tearing down our leaders and they would lose everything. So out of fear of losing what they had built, losing their family, (sighs) being disgraced, they try to hide it and they're coping alone and they can't even confidentially open up to anybody. The elder board would remove them immediately. So it's like, what, what are we supposed to do to feel like we can trust the people who are leading us and spiritually and then what can the people who are in those positions, which you're in, do to like surround themselves with, you know, transparency and, uh, you know, accountability and things sure. too. Like something's broken in the structure of it all, you know, and I actually don't know what to advocate for. Cause again, I'm kind of always thinking about down the road, where are we going? Okay. If this is broken, there's always a, there's always a better tomorrow. There's always an opportunity for, we can turn this, we can change this, we can improve this. The situation the American church is in now, like, I don't know what the answer is because of how things are structured. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you, 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 you brought out so many good points of, of, of the need. I, I would hope that if I went to, you know, my board or to any of them with a struggle in my life, if it was pornography or, pornography or alcohol or anything, that they would they would lovingly, graciously want to help and embrace that kind of vulnerability. Like, but would they let you stay in the pulpit? And uh, then people are going, why isn't he preaching anymore? Why is he taking a sabbatical? Yeah. Ooh, mur, 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 well, I think mur, mur, mur. I, 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 I think obviously the far better choice would be to put the right systems in place in the front end to avoid that, right. um, and to have the healthy. Like I, that, that's why my wife and I are in counseling. That's why we take a, a month off every summer. I don't preach July. Do you really? I don't. See, preach again, I'm July. pulling the chips. So that's yeah, a so month off every summer. Okay. Of preaching. Okay. Just from a content creation, it's so fatiguing, as you know, when you sit down and write that article to have to do that every time. So yeah. there's 52 Sundays a year. And next Sunday better be funny because I'm bringing my next door neighbor. You know what I mean? And, my, and then it's like what I get all the time is people who plan vacations around Montana and they don't check with us, of course, uh, because that wouldn't work out. But they'll, I'll bump into them at you know, Home Depot and they're like, I came all the way to Montana to hear you preaching. You were preaching. And it's like, I'm very sorry. I, 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 I don't know what to tell you. But um, the, the month off in the summer, those rhythms that keep my marriage whole, whole and my, my life you know, on sync and having the people that I can, you know, really be naked to, you know, I, I, I don't know how many times I've texted Louis Giglio, just, this is hurting. This is hard. What do I do? You so know? you have guys like that. Oh, life. absolutely. Yeah. Pastor Craig Rochelle. Um, and these happen to be people who have podcasts that are listened to, but they're just, that's just, I, I, I think part, part of the whole thing, like someone told me to that's line, you know, that's not valid to the average person because, um, you have all these celebrity friends, but the point is there were people I was in community with. And so when my life hurt, they were able to help me. So I'm not saying everyone needs to have Craig Rochelle on speed dial. I think you need to have someone in your life you can call when things are broken. And when, that you, when, you're at, when you're at a place where you're saying, like, I don't know what to do. You know? And these are people who helped us make decisions like, do we have an open casket? You know, I mean, that's like when it gets that's real. real. You, know? so. yeah. you guys, I, it's, I, I ask all my friends with platforms, like, who, who are you? Who are you opening up to? Who yeah. are you talking to? And it, it's so pivotal, man. Yeah. It's so pivotal. I'm, I, I just, I grieve for what's happening in the church right now. And, you know, I mean, this, this generation, every statistic, I mean, relevance audience is like 93%. It's like 18 to 39, right? Our average readers, 27. And like, statistically, they're leaving the church. Like, they just... They probably love Jesus, but they probably 
been in a year or two, you know, and it's fine in their mind, you know, it's fine. And the church is like struggling to adapt to that reality or, or, or understand why that's happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of like business as usual, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, they go away and they'll come back when they have kids. Right. You know, and like the church is just kind of like ostrich with the head in the sand. Yeah. And I don't think it's like the old, the old pattern. I mean, like things are different, like the distrust of authority, sure. the desire for authenticity and transparency. And inherently the church doesn't do that well. Yeah. Um, I think like there are core values in this generation that the church is just oblivious to. They're like, oh, no, 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 it's just an age thing. Not, and I'm going, ah, it's just, I don't see it. I'm not a pessimist. Yeah. I'm always an optimist. But like, there's a gravitas to the shift in the in the, the season we're in. I feel like nationally, the, the discourse, the the way Christian leaders have aligned politically, it's just kind of like, I, I, if I'm a Christian, I don't look like that. I don't think that that's what Jesus would be about. So, nah, count me out. And then they don't have, like, where do they belong? Yeah, and I think that's the silent majority of this generation of believers. They just don't feel like they belong, you know, and it's. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's something brewing, you know, something new. You're, you've got obviously a local ministry, you've got national platform, national awareness, and you're connecting with a lot of the streams, you know, streams of the body of Christ. There's a lot of streams, but one river, you know, um, it's odd to me when the streams don't kind of know about each other and they don't know what God's doing in their yeah. that stream, but yep. it's all connected. You can kind of, there's a few people that can kind of step back and see the big picture. What do you see happening in the church? What are you, you know, what, what, what's the challenges you see facing the church now, the big C church? What, what's the hope that you have for even like this generation and how things can change? Yeah, Cameron. I mean, I think at the end of the day, obviously there's, there's plenty to be um, brokenhearted about. And um, what you, what you mentioned in suicide and, you know, I, I, I just was talking to someone who's, you know, nephew just overdosed on fentanyl and you you just especially in small towns in america so many so many are losing their lives to to, you know heroin and and oxys and ended up on taking you know bad drugs and and then and then taking their lives are the number one killer of people under or this generation like uh, like people under 35 it's like the number one killer and then number two two. so both preventable and both unnecessary and both we we know we would mental health we would say and we and we would say both they're looking to what G- only Jesus can offer, yeah. you know, to, to give them finality and, and meaning and that euphoria and transcendence. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit more simplistic. Like when we moved to Montana to start the church, uh, a lot of people were like, did you, did you assess the demographic? Did you try and understand the me- mission and the ethos of the city and what the God, and we were like, ah, we just kind of like, we're going to preach Jesus and, 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 and see where that, you know, lands kind of like that, you know, shoot them all, let God sort them out kind of mentality. (laughs) And, and honestly, that's, that's all we've ever tried to do is just present Christ. And I I try not to overthink it, you know, politically, I I don't want to lose half the country either side to minister to. And I don't want to pick uh, one, such a narrow tribe 
that, that I don't have the chance to minister in a, in a, in a wide variety of churches. I love getting up at churches. It's like way charismatic, but then also like the, the, the pretty strict conservative and just a chance just to, to take off your shoes and the Chinese Christian church. We're back there where we began very well played. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the more we focus on Jesus, I'm, I'm excited and what God's doing around the, around the country and around the world and seeing like going to Cape town and seeing what God's doing through Hillsong there and, mm-hmm. Look at you know Elevation Church and what God's doing through Life Church and what, what I, I think Jesus is doing something great and I think our our shifting uh, culture and and I think you're right there are seismic forces at play culturally and 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 as far as there's there's a massive upheaval going on in in how young people are thinking and decisions they're making buying obviously living their lives online and I think we have to adapt but at the end of the day the biggest thing is that we just keep bringing Christ to him and and as leaders that we can take care of ourselves in such a way that we're there to continue the story yeah I think that's key I mean it's about Jesus I think that's why the move we see I mean you know we we want to talk about what God's doing in this generation and 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 the move we see the growth the life the energy is like the ministries where it's like Christ is the focus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, when my wife and I um, spent the first, you know, seven years of our church preaching messages about Jesus, um, then we went through the tragedy that we did of losing our daughter at the age of five. And it, from that moment forward, it's been like everything we preached for seven years, we were now getting to see if we really believed you know, because when you're when you're standing in a cemetery and you're 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 seeing all your dreams for the future buried right there with with your family of what you thought it was going to look like, yeah. just and it was it was a thing where it's like what we preached in the sunshine we were finding true in the valley of the shadow of death, and so for us our our message has taken on a new resolve and a, a new desire to bring Jesus to people and a, a, a broken heart for people who don't have that kind of hope. So you've experienced like the greatest loss and the greatest pain. And it's like, it's almost like um, God can use that to give you empathy and understand people wherever they are, whatever they've gone through, because nobody's gone through anything worse than you have. You know, it's like I watching from afar, not knowing you at all. The thing that always struck me about you is I don't get how going through that, he didn't give up. And I'm not saying like lose hope in God or lose your faith or anything like that. But I just like, I can't imagine coming through that publicly and not just needing to go away for a very, very long time. Sure. And you used it to like vulnerably and transparently just like use your story to like reach people, man. I don't, I don't know how you did it. Honestly, it, if, if I was in a rock climbing accident and a certain carabiner had like held my weight up and kept me alive, I would be the biggest advocate of that carabiner. And what we experienced when all of our everything was hanging on that rope of the resurrection and, and our trust was in, you know, we don't have this earthly body, this tent to hold on to. We have a, a heavenly house, 2 Corinthians 5, like, and, and the spirit convinces of this to be absent from the bodies, present with the Lord. In those moments, we hang, we hung everything on it. And I'll tell you, if it had given way, I, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know where I, I don't know where I'd be, but I know this. I want to tell people about the Jesus who can hold you up when life's good and when life's bad. Yeah, I'm yeah, good. <laughs> I, uh, I I just like, I, I love seeing what, what the Lord's doing through you and how your platform and voice are growing so much because like we need your, we need your voice. 
we need your leadership. Like Thank you so much. what God's doing this generation, like, you know, is it's got to be different and it's got to be real and it's got to be substantive and it's got to be about Christ and not about acquiring jets and not about, you know, power. And you got to have and a real alarm clock. That's the, get a real that's analog the alarm key clock. Yeah. Is go to bed at 8.30 and don't have a phone. In Although, uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to date the podcast, but I was watching. It was hard to go to bed when Nadal was playing last night. Yeah. Oh, were you watching that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Are you a tennis guy? I love tennis. The U.S. Open, Wimbledon. I lo- Seriously? Is that, your, is that your sport? That and the Tour de France. I will watch what? those all day. Those long. are the most obscure. Yeah. Tennis and cycling, man. So no, you, you want to talk about obscure? Uh, do you know the reason Madison Square Garden was built? Uh, no, I didn't. Bicycle racing. What? That's what it was built for. It was one at one point. It was the biggest rage in our entire country. Was watching bicycle racing. Are you? Are you? So you're a cyclist. I do like to cycle. And are you? A te- you're a tennis player. I like to play tennis. When I think of tennis, outdoor tennis, I do think like those of were the such weird answers. Right? I think I think of the winters in Montana. You yeah. know, I think it's a we great. We play inside a bubble. Oh, do you? Yeah. So you can bike a you know like a good five weeks a year. Yep. Out the, outdoors. That's funny. That's clever. But you know it, we, <laughs> what we lack uh, in 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 length of season, we we gain intensity of days because as you know in July, sun doesn't set till midnight. Yeah. I'm so far north. I'm 60 miles from Canada, so our sun is down at midnight. I've been I've been to I've been to Montana in every season but winter. Okay. So I was I snowboard too though. So we like winter. Oh okay. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just into basketball. Like that's all. I don't yeah, I, you give me a basketball, you will watch me make a fool of myself. Yeah, but I mean, do you like? Watch? Well, I guess you don't have a team or anything out there. You're no. Just, yeah, no, we don't have a team. Thanks so, for bringing it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the there's like seven people. What are we yeah. going to do? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But my, that's that's my outlet. Like during basketball season, like I work, I parent, like I'm all in. I'm committed to church, but my outlet is going to basketball games and yelling at basketball players. Amazing. Like that's literally like my release. I have an alter ego. I don't know what it is, but I See, we went to Europe and watched the Tour de France two stages. I watched really? Mark Cavendish break his collarbone right in front of me. It was the best day of my life. But how do you watch it? How do you watch it? You're standing there. Not the best day of his life, but it's the best sta- day. You're of my standing life. there for hours and then zoom, no, the guy goes by. There's a parade that comes by. First of all, it's it's the biggest sporting event in the world, Tour de France. How many people show up to watch that for that 21 yeah, but days? Yeah, isn't it like, I mean, that's a bit, it's all like <clears throat> doping and stuff, right? Like, how do you oh, cheer? Oh, come on. How do you, how you cheer? It's all these like guys doping cheating. and stuff. Okay, but Lance, okay, yes. <laughs> well, supposedly, the thing on Lance is, yes, he was cheating, but he was, they were all cheating. He was, the best. That's what I'm saying. But You're creates, watching and knowing everybody's <clears throat> cheating. That creates a new level playing field. Oh my goodness. Okay. That's, you watch the Tour of France, what they do, I, they deserve to cheat. It's so difficult. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like physically, it's impossible, is oh, what I've heard. It's on, it's on, there's nothing you can compare it to. So is that, is that your outlet? Like sports? Like what, those certain sports? Like your passion? I'll throw passionate. tennis on, I'll throw, I don't really watch. No, I would say that's my outlet. Yeah. I like to do them. I like to snowboard. My kids ski. It's, I, I can't, like, the weird thing for me is, like, everything in my life, I can, in some respects, I can control, sure. right? So, I built this company, I, my home, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. And um, I don't, I'm not the guy who, like, sits down on Sunday and can just watch football all day. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I have to, I have to, like, I watch my team, though. Yeah. Like, my one team. And if I watch another game, I would only watch it because it would affect my team. You know, Got it. and I, like, otherwise I don't care if I don't have a rooting interest. I, I don't, I'm just not a sports yeah, guy, but that, I can't relate to any of that. But my, my thing is I realized, and this is probably just common sense about sports in general, but just like, I need to have something in my life that I care and I'm emotionally invested in that I have no control over. Got it. And so like, I am emotionally affected by how the 
terrible Orlando magic do? I'm wearing a magic hat right now. You are. I mean, like, we're, we, the, our office is sadly a block away from the Orlando Magic's arena, and people Se- make fun of me. Season tickets? Floor seats. Okay, there you go. I literally sit there and coach them, and players throw things at me and, like, yell at me, and they know me, and I've become, like, a mascot for the team. Because this is my outlet. Yeah. Like, I go, and I am all in. Yeah. And I and they're like, you know, that guy, like, has a Christian magazine. I'm like, you know, I'm like, not here. You yeah. know, here, no, I'm just yelling here. at basketball No, I'm players. a fan. But I have to have that. Yeah. Like, for some reason, I need to have that, like, outlet or something. That's funny. It's really funny. It's weird. Anyway. I, do, but do you read? I read a lot. I, uh, again, though, I'm working with words all day, every yeah. day. So, you name drop Simon. Rick Warren is my guy. So Rick Warren over the years has kind of mentored me. Nice. And he told, I asked him one time, like, how do you recharge? How do you like lead well? And he said to me, people who uh, professionally have to use their minds need to recharge using their hands. And people who use their hands all day need to recharge by exercising their minds. He said, I said, so what do you do? And he said, I come home and I garden. Like I'm creating, but I'm not, it, it frees my mind. Sure. And I found that I, that's, that's me. So when I come home of reading words all day and dealing with article angles or content strategies all day, the last thing I want to do is read. And so, um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do things that are mindless. I play candy crush all the time. So funny. Like, I, like literally all the time. Cause it's mindless, but it's, I, I Legos. I do Legos. That's awesome. Because I don't have to make decisions. I follow the instructions, but I'm still creating. And I can shut off that part of my brain that has to decide things. But I'm still creating. So like, I just do things like that. And then I do garden and I work on my home and I'll do things with my hands. And like him telling me that 10 years ago, like really impacted Interesting. me. Yeah. So I, th- I, I, can, I can relate in that I can't play Scrabble. I can't play words with friends. That stresses me out because it feels too much like writing a sermon outline. Sure. But I do love to read. So I can get lost in a novel and uh so is it but it's reading that has nothing to do i mean is it like it depends i would because th- i would think with you if you're reading like a biz- a leadership book or a business book or especially a christian book or theology book you're sitting there you're working because yeah. you're like kind of cataloging sure oh that's a good point that's a good lesson oh, i didn't think of it that way and you're like but i also enjoy it too like i just read danny meyer's book defender of shake shack and I've, i went on the ride with him he starts out as a four-year-old loving cooking but um, there are stuff you'll grab, but I don't see that as a labor of like, I find that as a labor of love because Evernote, you just, it's there forever. You know, you, if you need it. Yeah. And then, uh, but like Stephen King, uh, Clancy Grisham. So you read Flynn. horror novels and listen love to explicit hip hop. Well, yeah. <laughs> but dude, Stephen King is, is a master. I've never read a word of Stephen yeah. King. I, I have a hard time with, with fiction. Yeah. Like I like watching. I like I like TV and movies, mindless stuff. That again, it's like I need to like unplug, and I unplug and I recharge by like just resting and not thinking. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know. But if I I could, I could watch any episode, any season of The Office at any time and instantly be rejuvenated too, though. One hundred percent. Yeah. So our Office Marathon. I've seen every episode of Seinfeld fifty-seven thousand times. Yeah, Parks and Rec. Um, all those, you know, sharp, smart comedies, 30 Rock, that kind of stuff. I love that. How about Shark Tank? You watch that? No, because it's business and it's stressful. The last thing I want to do is come home and watch some person who's given their life to a terrible idea get their dreams (laughs) crushed. My wife just doesn't want me to watch it because more boxes will show up at our house. Ah, That's what, okay, so I've seen a couple episodes recently and it's been years and it really is turned into just like, I'm an inventor who's going with an idea for a QVC product. The better better mousetrap. Yeah, Yeah, that's sure. But man, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm glad you're here, and this is a lot of fun. It, uh, 
we've we've gone well over an hour. So um, um, I, I, I just I, I'm happy for you. I'm thankful for you. Um, um, I'm a fan of yours from afar, and I'm glad we've been able to in the magazine tell your story some. And I'm glad that we can, you know, kind of track with you moving forward. We need you. Uh, don't burn out and freak out on us. Okay. You got it. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. (laughs) That was Levi Lesko. Make sure to check out his new book. I declare war four keys to winning the battle with yourself. It's available now. You can find out more about him at levilesko.com. If you like this premiere episode of Unedited, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have an incredible lineup of guests coming this season. You won't want to miss an episode. Also, I'd love your help spreading word about the show. Rating and reviewing Unedited on iTunes helps us a ton, as well as sharing it on social media. Thanks in advance. And make sure to tune in next week when my guest will be comedian Pete Holmes, uh, which we recorded at his home studio in L.A. It's a fascinating conversation about faith and doubt. Well, I'm Cameron Strang. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Relevant Podcast Network.